This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.omf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. Thanks to Brian Redmond for the last two hours. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock when Edward Hayden takes over in the hot seat. But between now and 10, it's all business. On the programme this morning, we talked to Helen Murphy of Mooncoin Beetroot about how she's building a business around this humble vegetable. Carla Mann, Seamus O'Hara, a finalist in this year's Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award, will be telling us all about the success story that is Carlo Brewing. And with no end in sight to international travel restrictions, airline chief Enda Corneal, country head of Emirates in Ireland, will be joining us to talk about the future of international travel. And I'll be talking to Deirdre Martin of Network Kilkenny about the recent Network Ireland Business Awards in which Kilkenny businesswomen did very well indeed. But first joining me on the phone is Alan Siri of O'Neill Foley to talk to us about the week that was, uh, how things are in the world of business in this COVID era and what's been done to help business. Good morning, Alan. Good morning, John. How are you? Good. We talked on Tuesday, I think it was, when the bu- uh, budget was out. Seems like a long time ago now. It's been an eventful week. It sure has, John. The, the budget passed uh, through on Wednesday, almost about On Wednesday, that, yeah. <laughs> or Tuesday, rather, yeah. It's hard to know what day it is now, even anymore. So, um, on Tuesday, and uh, so by Wednesday, it was very much... Uh, old news and um, obviously we had the announcement leaked from Neffet yesterday as regards potential shutdown restrictions again. Yeah, and it's very uh, difficult so for business. We started last week, Monday, everybody wondering, following a leak on Sunday, whether we were going into level five and we're finishing off this week the same way. It's tough for business uh, uncertainty at the best of times, but it's really difficult at the moment, particularly on retail. It's very tough for retail, John, and especially those in the hospitality sector uh, where they're ordering stock in. Um, you know, the whether to get stuck in or not, um, and even for a lot of business now, to, to whether they, they should remain open or not and reduce turnover. Um, so that that's, it's you know, the, the constant uncertainty as regards whether lockdowns, whether lockdowns will be introduced or, or not introduced, is really uh, stressing a lot of business, I'd say, now at this stage. Yeah, and the uncertainty is nearly as bad as the actual lockdown bit, because at least if people know there's going to be a lockdown, um they can plan accordingly, but very difficult to plan, as you say. Well, it's very difficult to plan, but like a full lockdown is a very brutal and blunt instrument um, uh, for businesses. You know, obviously they know where they stand. Their business will be closed in a lot of cases. Um, uh, you know, that certainty is not really of much comfort to them. Um, but like this retro thing now is 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 uh, it's very it's very divisive in terms of people's outlook on us and it's very uh, disruptive for businesses and for their employees and other stakeholders. Yeah, now this time last week, uh, this area, Carlon Kilkenny, was in level two. Uh, we were upgraded to level three during the week and that means that the new measure announced by the government is in place. Uh, I'm not sure what it's called, but it provides for up to 5,000 a week for businesses uh, who've been devastated by COVID. Can you tell us uh, about the details on that? Have there, has anything uh, been released to make it a bit clearer what you need to do and so on? Yes, John, the name of the scheme is the COVID Restrictions uh, Support Scheme, which is a mouthful in itself, but if you just truncate it to uh, CRSS, um, uh, and Revenue have issued just uh, towards the end of the week a very useful guide as regards how it operates. 
So in very simple terms, um, if your business is in is affected uh, by level three or higher lockdowns, um, it can get a weekly support from the government. The business doesn't necessarily have to close, um, but it can get a weekly support uh, from the government. Um, so that weekly support is determined by the business's turnover uh, now compared to last year. So if you have, say, a cafe uh, that last year was running, say, €20,000 a week uh, turnover, um, and uh, their turnover now has, has gone down to twenty percent of that last twenty twenty percent of that figure. So three or uh, four thousand. Three or four thousand, yeah. So they can get a subsidy of two thousand euro a week um, uh, as a, as a as a support. They don't necessarily have to lock down. So we think of say, uh, you know, cafes that we all frequent. Uh, they might they might maybe be open on a skeletal basis with some outside service um, and takeaway service. So they can they can remain open but avail of this scheme. In addition to yeah. the other wage support schemes, uh, Alan, that's correct, John. Yeah, so it is, it's, it's an extra, it's an extra subsidy. It, it is, it is a taxable, uh, it is a taxable subsidy. But uh, you know, at this stage, with, with you know, business, we would like to be paying uh, tax on the profits. You know, so, um, but it's very welcome support, I think, um, for for business and gives them an extra um, uh, cover for overheads and and maybe if if they're borderline as a guard saying open or not, like it, it might it might persuade them to say open. Yeah, but it's very important that people get the distinction. You have to be doing twenty percent of last year, so one fifth of last year, as opposed to a reduction of twenty percent, which would have been, I think, the initial qualification for the wage subsidy scheme. Correct, John. Yeah. So the the, the initial qualification of the wage subsidy scheme was say twenty five percent reduction in turnover. This is this is really for businesses that are being shuttered or you know effectively shuttered by COVID nineteen. Uh, so again, if you take your cafe as an example. You know where they would have had indoor seating. Obviously, indoor seating is gone now, um, but they may still be open for takeaways. Um, so, if their turnover is at twenty percent of, of last year's turnover, they'll qualify for this. And this is in operation since this week, I think, since the start of this week when people went into level three. What do people need to do to uh, to avail of that subsidy? Yeah, so it'll be an operation from Budget Day, which was the thirteenth of October, and it's scheduled to end on on, on the thirty first of March. Um, Obviously, it was announced on Budget Day. Revenue haven't quite got up the um, their, their application system yet, so they're anticipating that it'll be probably late October, early November, um, when the when the team becomes live and uh, claims will be effective from um, Budget Day. Um, so they're asking then it'll be a weekly it'll be a weekly claim, and you need to have your tax returns up to date and also a tax clearance certificate as well. Mm. Uh, speaking of which, uh, we're we're approaching what's traditionally tax deadline dates around the end of October. Those have been extended, but um, do you want to remind people what the appropriate deadlines are? Sure. So the paper deadline is thirty first of October. Uh, so it's just a couple of weeks ago away now, um, and the usual uh, pay and file deadline ordinarily that will be in the middle of November is now uh, extended out until the tenth of December. Um, for people who um, make a paper filing, they would ordinarily be expected to pay their pay their tax on that, um, by that date as well. So the, if they couldn't pay their tax after that date, they would have to pay, file the return um, on that date. Revenue have introduced uh, uh, an extension to the income tax or to their warehousing scheme for income tax. Um, so if you're expecting, if you're um, uh, struggling to make your balance from tax payment for 2019. And your income has gone down this year, which unfortunately most people will be. Uh, that they'll they look for they'll uh, offer a warehousing facility for that. Mm. Um, so if people have um, say a liability outstanding for 2019 and probably spent 
the balance of that trying to stay in business over the last 10 or 11 months um, they can apply to revenue for that debt to be warehoused uh, and there'll be 3% cost in that so for, for it's usual rule John like don't put your head in the sand try and you know, negotiate with, with uh, revenue or get your, get your accountant to negotiate on your behalf with revenue to um, get the matter addressed Yeah now we heard uh, during the week in the budget the eye-watering amounts of money that the government is uh, borrowing to keep the show on the road but good news in terms of tax revenue seems to be holding up that surprised many people but it's good news nonetheless it's very good news, John, yeah. So, um, uh, and the, the main source there seems to be the corporation tax uh, receipts for multinationals and also um, payroll costs for, um, uh, I suppose, higher paid employees that, that are are still managing the function, notwithstanding that a lot of them work from home. Um, obviously, we do have the challenge of, of uh, whether the corporation tax base is sustainable, and I think uh, Minister who alluded to that in his budget speech, um, there's certainly pressure in Ireland and has been for a number of years um, and the organisation like the OECD uh, are looking to maybe change the base for how corporation acts is assessed, which probably won't uh, uh, benefit us entirely. Um, so that's that's a challenge. So like we are, we like if if you were if you weren't feeling great about things, John, you know you could you would say that we would have COVID, we have Brexit, and we have um, uh, uh, I suppose an annual battle to keep our corporation tax system um, intact. Yeah. Um on another note, I'd be talking to Enda Corneal of Emirates uh, later in the programme, but Ireland really uh, punching above its weight when it comes to running international airlines. An announcement during the week caught your eye. Yeah, like Ireland is um, it's, it's a phenomenal country for airlines in the sense, in a couple of ways. Uh, we now have uh, three CEOs or chairpersons of, of very large companies in the airline sector in the world. So Sean Doyle, a court man, was appointed to uh, CEO of British Airways, and obviously Michael Leary is the main person for Ryanair, and Alan Joyce, a uh, Dublin man, is, is over Qantas in Australia, um, and really was just retired from be, uh, being chairperson of the IAG group, which owns Iberia and mm. uh, British Airways. And Ireland is actually a, a, a very uh, important centre for aircraft leasing, um, and there's a lot of people employed in that sector, and Ireland will be regarded as, as uh, you know, a very influential and influential and uh, significant player in that sector yeah older listeners would know that um gpa was was uh, one of the forerunners for that absolutely um, so we do have a very we do punch above our weight in that sector john that's good uh good to hear and we'll be talking to enda Cornell uh later on thanks for that alan have yourself a good morning um that's alan siri from o'neill foley there uh talking to us about the week that was The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business www.omf.ie Now over the last number of weeks we've been delighted to work with Carlo and Kilkenny Local Enterprise Offices on the Taste Local Campaigns something we're doing to raise awareness and appreciation of all the wonderful food producers, restaurants, cafes and food businesses we've got in Kilkenny and Carlo now unfortunately many of the public facing businesses in the food sector are currently hugely curtailed because of Covid but we hope that before long they will return and we can all enjoy what is on our doorstep but in the meantime 
many producers continue to work away and this morning we'll be meeting two of them. In a few minutes I'll be bringing you a chat I had with Seamus O'Hara of Carlow Brewing. But first I headed to Mooncoin to meet Helen Murphy. Now Mooncoin in South Kilkenny is of course well known for Roses, the Rose of Mooncoin of course, uh, an anthemic song for people from Kilkenny. But Helen is putting Mooncoin on the map for beetroot with her company Mooncoin Beetroot. I caught up with her some time ago and started by asking her to tell me about the company. Um, John, we yeah, it is probably an unusual product, but it's, it all kind of came from literally from my veg patch. We started um, just jarring it up and giving it to friends, and, and um, so then in, in 2012, about I started um, pickling it and bringing it into some of the local stores and, and uh, um, from there I suppose it just took off slowly but surely um, and because we have a good product it starts selling and people like to have the homegrown um, and then in 2014 um, we got into the food uh, the food academy um, program in conjunction with super value and um, the local enterprise and so from there then I went I was working part-time until that and then I went on full-time on the in pickling it and um, so it's yeah it's been really busy with it you know and, and have you considered yourself like were you one of the types of people who was always pottering away in the kitchen doing your own things putting them in jars and stuff like that had you always ha- had a bit of a hankering to do something like this not, not really. I think it just kind of started. I look, you know, when you have vegetables and you're trying to save them at the end of the season, you, you kind of do something with them, like jams or, or as with the beetroot pickling it. Um, and it just kind of came from that. Like, it's more that, yeah, I've always loved cooking and, and that. In the and kitchen. would you have considered yourself a bit of an entrepreneur or the type of person who would start a business? Not really, no. I never I never envisioned that I'd be have a business, you know, of my own and, and run it. Um, and I suppose it's been run fairly okay you know good for the last couple of years now so it's yeah never never went out to start my own business and tell us about the first time you actually took the step outside and said right i'm gonna try and sell this to somebody was that a hard step to take well it is like um to to go into a supermarket with a product like you know yourself it's good and we had gotten it tested and everything and people had said to me oh it's lovely like but it's going to a supermarket and say uh, i have a product um would you try it and in fairness i with between our local center here and in super our arcane stores in, in waterford were the two that i started with um they said yeah look leave it in and i said when i got my first big order from arcane stores was 60 jars like I just, I nearly fell through the floor, rang my husband and said, hey, they've ordered 60 jars, and I was literally doing it from a small pot in the kitchen, so we kind of had to upscale fairly quick then. You Must know. have been a bit of a challenge, like where do you get 60 jars for a start and so on, yeah. uh, labels and all that sort of stuff. Tell us a bit about that learning curve. Yeah, well, it was kind of, I suppose initially then I kind of just went into a printers in town and got a, a, a design, you know, just something fairly simple with the details. And it, when I started, you didn't have to have all the nutritional value, which is compulsory now, like, but, you know, we just kind of had a good product and said what was in it and, and um, went in and we had it. We knew it had a good shelf life because I got it tested for that. But yeah, it, it takes a bit of time then to like in the thing about what I found is in the Food Academy gave me more, you know, you were getting knowledge from other people that were in the business longer some of them and some of them like myself starting out so they were and then got a good design we changed the design and kind of made it a bit more modern i suppose to attract people's eyes so we've talk to me a bit more about the food academy what's involved in that um well it's it's a 
12, I think it was a 12 week course or 12 to 14 and you go, we went actually up to the School of Food in Thomastown where, where I did it um, and you know you, you get um, mentoring from good range of people and with between your sales and getting your costs and you know and um, I suppose it's how to present your product and your 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 the best point of your product you know your selling point is and I suppose that's what you work on then is getting your your selling point your unique selling point and I suppose you just keep beating that home and that mine is that it's homegrown and you know, yeah, tell yeah. us a bit about the, the beetroot market in Ireland. I would imagine there's quite a bit of potential to, to grow the Irish homegrown beetroot. A lot of imports, I would imagine. Yeah, a lot of imports. Um, and then there be, would be mass manufacturing. So there would be, a, there's a small number of people doing their own and small artisans like myself doing different types. Um, but we have then we grow all our own beetroot nobody we don't buy in from anybody we do all our own and then we have different color beetroots as well um as we pickle a white one and it's really nice it's slightly different than the red and then i have in the fresh products we have a yellow one um candied the ordinary purple and a white and they they make lovely salads as well as you know so they're just they're really different and they sell into the hotels and that into the catering sector so, so you have before you three different or before us three different jars of beetroot just describe the different um, products that you have and, and you have a bowl of multicolored beetroots yeah they, well they are initial product product was the pickled beetroot um i suppose still the best selling beetroot because it's what everybody knows is in your purple beetroot um that you have with your salads now when i started first i never i never ate beetroot in the winter time but and um, people i said i ah, you know this will be a seasonal business or whatever but it actually sells really good around christmas time as well because people do eat a lot of cold meats and and that and there's i suppose from a health point of view it's it's a really good product too and because mine it, I find is 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 that bit you know you can taste the the homemade from it people really really do take to it and they like it um that would be say still our best seller lovely stuff and uh, i did sample some mooncoin beetroot and highly recommended now having visited helen in mooncoin i took a trip to bagnallstown and met with seamus o'hara of carlo brewery a man who has won many awards for the business he started 25 years ago amazingly and who this year has landed a very prestigious nomination in the ernst and young entrepreneur of the year award i sat down with seamus in the boardroom of the brewery and started our conversation by asking him to tell me about the journey he'd taken with Carlo Brewing. We'll be 25 years around next year so it's kind of a, lo- a long story at this stage but um, so as we started in 1996 in Carlo Town um, relatively small operation there beside the train station um, you know started brewing beer distributing it, distributing it out locally and nationally and then eventually started to export as well um, and you know kind of fast forwarding to today now based in Bagnestown um, with bigger premises, um, 50 odd staff working here. Um, and we export to about 40 countries, about half our production is exported um, and then half into the domestic market in, in on trade and off trade, you know. And tell us a bit of the, the key mm-hmm. milestone stones along the way that led to such growth. Yeah, um, I suppose lots of kind of twists and turns along, along the way. Um, I remember like in the early days, craft beer and microbrew beer was very very new so it was definitely kind of tough to even even kind of explain to people that there was something different than the big mainstream brands i suppose 
Um, so it was kind of a slow process. Like we were lucky to, in the early 2000s, we won a couple of international awards. We, we won a, an award for the best stout in the world, the in, in International Brewing Industry Awards in London. And things like that really helped put us on the mark on the export side. And we got started getting inquiries in. And export actually started to move a bit faster than import in the early days, or sorry, than domestic. And, and But look, gradually, you know, we got, I think, a social media came along, which wasn't there originally. It was always a word of mouth, I think, you know, for maybe for food and beverage products like this, small brands. So one person talking to one person saying, I really like this, and so on. But um, I suppose when social media came along, that really kind of helped to accelerate that and give us a new way to get into the customers. So I suppose we had a few little, you know, so periods when the business pressed on with export in the early days, then I think social media uh, really helped. I think the last recession kind of helped in that it disrupted this kind of a static market, the drinks market in Ireland. And, and that kind of disruption, funnily enough, helped craft beer as a category and, and it came on in leaps and bounds. I think, you know, everybody in the sector had 2009, 2012, something like that, had a good boost. Um, and then kind of building on from there, I suppose, you know, doing different things along the way to expand our capacity, raise a bit of money, you know, um, you know, bringing in some really good people that, you know, that are part of the team here. But overall, I suppose it's just been a gradual kind of step by step and uh, you know that's that's kind of how it's, how it's worked out for us. Yeah, a brewery mm. in in Carlo, mm. um, it's mm. not a bolt from the blue. There is a tradition. Mm. This is the Barrow Valley, which has a long tradition of malt and, and hop growing. So, yeah. you know, mm. small breweries in local areas are not really a, a new phenomenon, but they they had gone into to decline yeah. for a while. Yeah, I suppose a couple of hundred years ago, uh, or even less. Like it was, you know. You know the history is, but you know every, nearly every town had a, and village had a brewery, and p- probably because it was very much a local product with local ingredients consumed locally, fresh, um, and in some ways craft beer, that's it, it was the idea for most people in craft beer was to try and get back to that. Um, in that, I suppose maybe beer got commoditized, you know, a very small number of brands brewed in very large volume, um, and almost you know flavor really low and, and because it was brewing for a, very, a mass market so you didn't want to offend anybody so craft brewing was more of a more of a, a kind of a, a trying to discover that kind of heritage and history and like you know but we are lucky in this area that we had we always had the kind of malt pr- production um still have high quality malt and i think uh, you know, back in the day that would be moving along the canal all the way into dublin into the big breweries and distilleries so uh, and but, but in Bagnestown, there was uh, in the in the uh, close in the eighteen forties, I think it was. There was a brewery in Bagnestown, um, and one of the ro- roads here is called Brewery Road, and and a part of it is called Brewery Corner, which is where the name for our bar in Kilkenny came about. But so there's yeah, there's lots of little bits of history, and then even right up to maybe in the last ten years, a number of breweries even closed down Kilkenny, <laughs> the, the Francis Abbey Brewery in Kilkenny, the Smithick, the the uh, Harp Brewery, the, the brewery in Waterford. So. It stayed going, I suppose, that kind of consolidation and, and then the new kind of craft beer was, I suppose, people like ourselves trying to rediscover and, and you know, bring something back and, and bring something back on a kind of a lo- in a local way as well. And has that mirrored mm. the kind of mm. interest in local food and in, mm. in kind of th- people knowing the provenance of what they're actually eating? People like to know that with what they're drinking as well. Yeah, no, I think absolutely. Yeah, I think they go, go hand in hand and, uh, you know, I suppose we're part of that kind of wider food and beverage sector where there's a consumer now that is really kind of switched on to look they're interested in where it came from who who's who was behind it where the ingredients came from um 
you know, they're interested in flavour and, and bringing flavour, you know, capturing that in the foods and, and not overly processed and so on. And look, that's exactly how it is for, for a craft beer. Um, and look, the, I think the other thing is that, you know, we used to hear about wine and cheese and, you know, food pairing was always a wine thing. But like for Ireland, you know, the natural thing to pair with our Irish food is beer. Um, and and there's lots of lots of reasons why that works really well. Um and uh, and and those flavors pair really well, mm. and you know that's why we love to you know you know with local cheese, local meat, local vegetables, uh, local restaurants and bars. Like we you know we we love to promote uh, that that sort of eating and drinking your local local produce, um, and uh, look, it works really well. <laughs> We're in a COVID era, era now. Mm. Has that meant huge change, huge disruption? I'm sure it's had negatives, but are there positives mm. for your business as well? Yeah, look, definitely lots of negatives that probably uh, everybody know, knows about. But I suppose, as ever, when challenges like that come along, it, it, it forces you to rethink what you're doing or, or to focus in on where where the new opportunities are or, or you know, where how, how can I sustain the business, you know, despite the challenges. Um, I suppose at, at one level, we've seen lots of challenges in on-trade uh, and in the hospitality sector, which would have been probably, like, you know, a key part of our business in our, in our, in in both in Ireland and in our, in our export markets, and and that's definitely challenged. But but at the same time, I suppose the off license and the off trade side has you know as people are staying at home and you know buying their food and beverage to go home, that's 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 grown quite a lot. And you know we've we've seen some opportunities there. Um, and I suppose anecdotally, we think people have a bit more breathing space to browse around when they're buying in in a supermarket or an off license. For for what they're going to consume and what they're going to drink, um, and I think, whereas maybe it's hard sometimes in a, in, a, in a bar, busy bar, to get the presents. Again, I'm saying anecdotally, but I think we are seeing some benefit for for craft beer and craft beverages at the moment. In that people are maybe you know seeing what's local, seeing what's new, uh, you know, experimenting maybe a little bit uh, or trying something new, and and uh, I suppose savouring something new mm. uh, while while you know the rest of the world is going crazy. You know. <laughs> You're following a very strong Carlo tradition in being nominated as a finalist in the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year uh, competition, which can only be a, a matter of weeks away. Tell us about mm. that. Uh, you join Rachel Doyle and, and David Walsh in relation to that great honour. That's it, yeah. No, great, great honour, yeah. Um, and, you know, sp- speaking to David and, and to Rachel, um, they like they all had a great experience uh, been involved in that programme. It's a bit different this year because, you know, normally there's a lot of networking and, like, events and... Uh, Educational programs, so it's all going virtual this year. But um, but nevertheless, you know, it's it's uh, like the, the you know there's 145 odd alumni of uh, nominees over the last number of years since it's been going, and uh, like some really accomplished entrepreneurs there. Um, so it's an honour to be part of that, but also you know to, to get a little bit of access to that that community. And look, it can only only help our business uh, to be able to make those kind of connections. Yeah, looking ahead to twenty twenty one, how are you feeling about the the growth of the Carlo Brewing Company? Yeah, we're not, like we're probably not looking too far ahead at the moment. Um, but the way thing, you know, so we're kind of thinking the, the goalposts keep moving a little bit. Um, but I suppose we are trying to plan, uh, you know, to be able to kind of react to, to how things play out and to be. I suppose part of it is to be sustainable in the current environment where. Uh, business, you know, business has changed, and and uh, you know, a lot of our customers, uh, are, I suppose, are in, in challenging situations. So, I mean, we're trying to find ways to work with them, and you know, maybe maybe see is there changes in what they what they need, what they, so we can maybe develop on those lines, particularly in the off trade side. 
um, and you know to work with um, with the on trade as it as it you know hopefully gradually opens and and but with reduced capacity for everybody in their outlets you know that's not straightforward um, and you know we have to you know I suppose find ways in partnership to to make the best of that um, and I suppose even in the, in the production facility here in Bagnestown work and tell the various guidelines to keep everybody health, safe and healthy and um, there's lots we have to do um, in that regard as well um, and you know so far so good that's all working well so look I think we have to just keep an eye on what's you know everything that's happening in that regard and, and make sure we, we respond and react to it um, so it's probably certainly a short term thinking at the moment um, but like I suppose longer term we're kind of up, you know optimistic you know that there's opportunities to continue to grow the business and you know, we are doing some little bits of um, investment in the brewery in future capacity and packaging uh, capacity and so on as well. So, um, you know, so we're, you know, we're, we're kind of still optimistic about the future. Seamus O'Hara of Carlo Brewing there telling us about his journey with uh, Carlo Brewing, which started almost 25 years ago, 25 years next year, and what a journey he's had with that business. And best of luck to him as he undertakes another exciting journey as a finalist in the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Speaking of journeys, uh, after the break, I'll be speaking to Enda Corneal, who's head of Emirates in Ireland, because, of course, unfortunately, the journeys that we can all take overseas have been curtailed, and that will have had a huge impact on his business. Stay tuned. We'll be talking to him after the break. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie you're welcome back after the break. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. Now, one of the industries that has been hardest hit by the COVID pandemic is aviation. And to discuss the impact, the future and getting the industry moving again, I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Enda Corneal, who's Emirates Country Manager for Ireland. Good morning, Enda. Good morning, John. Talk to us if you can cast your mind back to the pre-COVID world and the world of Emirates in the end of 2019 going into 2020. What were your plans? Well, we were having one of the best years ever. Um, our Irish operation was about to report an average of an 85% seat factor. So 85% of our seats had been filled for the entire 12 months. Um, our cargo business was, was up. Our, tra- our passenger business was up. And, the, you know, the company as a whole was on the verge of reporting, you know, stellar numbers. And then around February, beginning of March, things began to change. We, we began getting um, steadily day by day more and more cancellations uh, until the 24th of March where operations were suspended entirely um, and we only we came back about a month later with a cargo only operation uh, we resumed passenger operations on Ireland on the 17th of June and increased to four flights a week on the 2nd of August and that's where we are now but that compares to 14 flights per week pre-COVID so we're really only about 25% of our of our schedule and that's mirrored across the business across the airline globally very tough for people in aviation because um, you don't know what the future's going to be. Talk to us a bit about the measures that you've had to bring in and what changes you've had to do to your business to survive, I suppose, number one, and uh, secondly, to keep the show on the road and to keep those flights flying. 
Yeah, I mean, I suppose one of the one of the things we did was to remove capacity um, pretty sharply, and then when we brought capacity back on, bring it on very gradually, you know, and really try and match the capacity to to demand, which really has evaporated largely, and that's down to markets, market important markets being closed. Australia is closed, Thailand is closed, and then restrictions as we have in Ireland on non-essential travel. So, I suppose matching the the capacity to demand has been the first thing, but obviously. Obviously, people are traveling and we've seen a lot of people repatriate to, to, to places like Dubai, to India and so on, and people traveling for essential you know, work. So our, our focus has been to make sure that anyone that is traveling is enjoying the Emirates experience as much as possible and is safe. I mean, safety is always our number one priority. But we brought in a lot of extra measures uh, in light of the COVID pandemic, like, for example, Everyone flying out of Dublin must present a negative COVID test uh, that can't have been taken earlier than 96 hours before their flight. All the staff are in PPE. Um, all customers on board have to wear masks. The cabin air is changed every two to three minutes. So, uh, you know, a lot of measures taken to make sure, to reassure people and make sure the people who are traveling are traveling safely. You know, our business is a hub and spoke operation through Dubai and onwards. So Dubai is essentially a sterile area as well. And we want to make sure that if you're flying with Emirates, you know, you're, you're clear from the moment you board in Dublin to when you, uh, you know, alight from the aircraft, wherever your destination is. Uh, you, you paint a clear picture of, of the impact it's had in Ireland. What about around the world? We tend to look abroad and wonder, is it the same everywhere else? Is Emirates similarly uh, impacted right around the world? Yes, I mean, we would have had about 150, 160 destinations pre-COVID. We're now up as far as 99 destinations. Now, you know, that that sounds impressive, but those 99 destinations haven't got only a fraction of the capacity and the frequencies that they would have had pre-COVID. Now, we've seen this really throughout the the, 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 the global network. The one element, I suppose, in our favour that has remained very strong and resilient has been our cargo operation. If you go back to, you know, March, uh, March time, a lot of carriers immediately pulled out of China, for example. Emirates continued to fly and we were able to mop up a lot of cargo business. And throughout uh, the summer and into the autumn, our cargo division have largely become the spine of the airline. Uh, in Ireland, you know, they're, they're delivering slightly more revenue than the passenger side, which is very much the opposite of what you would be used to. Hmm. So I suppose having that cargo de- division um, has been a real support. And that in itself has enabled us to open up passenger destinations. Without the cargo contribution, we probably couldn't be operating the number of flights that we're operating. So it's very important. And if you look at the Irish operation where we have four flights a week, we're actually selling seven days of cargo so the, fl- the days we're not operating an actual flight from Dublin we're trucking that cargo to Manchester and, and London and on to Emirates flights from there so that that's very very important and that as I said is bolstering the passenger piece Yeah um, and extraordinary times because it's really quite remarkable that you know we hear about isolation but Australia absolutely closed for business for, for many months you couldn't even post a letter to Australia that must have posed challenges as well in the cargo side particularly 
Yeah, the, the cargo piece actually has has been surprisingly buoyant on Australia. The passenger piece is, is a real challenge. Um, we are flying in, but the, the Australian government and the various individual states have imposed um, quotas on on and caps on the number of people who can actually fly in, and that's called caused you know disappointment for people who are due to travel and find suddenly they're they're offloaded. Um, but also for us in schedules planning, it's been very very difficult. Um, but Australia, I mean, if I look at our top ten routes from Ireland. The Australia, Australian routes would account for four or five of them. So it's a really important market. And, you know, it's made up of traffic going in both directions. You know, grandparents going to see grandchildren, people coming home for weddings and christenings. And that's a, a, such an important part of, I suppose, day, uh, life now and travel. So we really need that to return before we can get back to any kind of pre-COVID levels. Yeah, now we're, we're very much in the eye of the storm still with, with numbers surging as we speak. But looking ahead to the future, how do you see the future? And are you optimistic about the future? What kind of return to normality or, or can you say at this stage? Yeah, I'm actually, I'm very optimistic. I'm a realist, but I'm, I'm an optimist as well, especially about the future. I think, you know, the world has become a smaller place with Emirates, airlines like Emirates bringing so many places across the world to within one stop of Ireland. I think people like to travel. That genie's out of the bottle. It's really now a matter of when it will return and in what kind of shape it'll be. And if you ask any airline manager, they'll give you a different year. I think next year will tell a tale. But until either there is a vaccine or their certainty of a vaccine on the way, we're not going to see anything like the return. But I believe there's, there's, there's pent-up demand out there. People want to get away. And maybe as, as, as travel begins to return, people will travel slightly less, but maybe travel longer. Maybe choose uh, a, you know, a bucket shop destination such as Dubai or the Seychelles or the Maldives instead of multiple small trips. In other words, if I'm going to travel, let's make it count. Um, but really, who knows when it'll come back to any kind of volume. I think we're certainly looking at 12 to 24 months. There's been a failure to, to bring in a kind of sustainable model to manage international travel. There's talk of a traffic light system at the moment. There was much talk about testing at airports and so on, but the powers that be haven't got that together. How do people like yourself in the airline industry feel about all that? Well, I mean, I suppose disappointment is the, is the main, is the word I would use to, to what came out this week from the EU. I mean, we were really, aviation, the airline airlines were pushing for um, a common pre-departure COVID testing framework across the EU. Uh, I mean, Dublin, Air, for exa- Dublin Airport, for example, are all ready to go. Dal- Dalton Phillips spoke to the Transport Committee last week, said they've even got a supplier for the testing equipment. And yet what came out from the EU in terms of the traffic light system was more quarantine. Um, and in fact, quarantines that member states can adjust and change, only giving 24 hours notice to prospective customers. So I don't believe or we don't believe it's going to change things. Um, it's not even a step forward. It's actually, I don't know what it is, it's a sideways step. I mean, ultimately, until we can have a regime where people are tested at the airport on the ground uh, or can provide a test, a negative test before they travel, you're not really going to see confidence returning to the business. It's no different than if you were traveling to a country that had typhoid or malaria. You would have to be able to prove you were inoculated against it. And, you know, maybe that's the way to go, because certainly, you know, social distancing on an aircraft is just not a runner uh, economically. 
you need to have the testing done on the ground so that when everyone is traveling everyone feels safe and you know no one's looking over their shoulder to see will they catch something from their neighbor so you know disappointing that you know we are where we are from the eu perspective but i think the irish government really needs to take a, a, a much more strident approach to loosening the restrictions there's certainly a stigma now about travel and this is a small open economy and yet we've been closed since march so we really do need to open up uh, and take at the same time observe public health rules and, and advice take precautions but you know there's 150,000 jobs depending on this industry and at the moment it's totally stagnated how do you think travel will look this time 12 months is it possible to say or is that too much for crystal ball gaze i'm asking you to do I think if you were to ask me what will travel be like in 30 days, that would be a crystal ball as well. I think 12 months, certainly more people will be traveling. Um, I think businesses need to travel. Um, you know, we, we see that from our own customers, the leasing fraternity, the aircraft leasing fraternity, big customers of Emirates, they're beginning to travel in numbers. I think more and more industries will just have to get on planes uh, and do business. And that in itself, I think, will lead to more leisure travel. But as I said to you before, until we see uh, either a vaccine in place or certainty of one on, on the way we won't see you know 85% seat factors or double daily flights um, returning to the Irish market. Enda Corneal country head of Emirates here in Ireland talking to us about the future of travel and great to hear him feeling optimistic he's resilient but also a bit of frustration going on there. You're listening to The Bottom Line the programme for and about business on KCLR. John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock now, the Network Ireland Business Awards took place recently and Kilkenny was very well represented. Earlier, I caught up with Deirdre Martin, who's the president of Network Ireland Kilkenny, and I started by asking her to tell us a bit about Network Kilkenny. Absolutely. Uh, Network Kilkenny was set up early in 2016. So we're three, almost four years up and running in Kilkenny. Our membership is around 40 at the moment. We've had a lot of new members join during the pandemic. I suppose local businesswomen are looking for a bit of additional support. Uh, locally, we have sponsors who include the local enterprise office in Kilkenny. And on a national basis, we are sponsored by AIB Bank. So the network in Kilkenny is, is growing. Uh, we have events monthly, bi-monthly, and we have um, national awards as well that we have just had a national winner from on October 2nd. Well, tell us about the awards. What are the categories and, and what was the representation of Kilkenny overall in them? So we had, there were six categories altogether during the year, John. Uh, we had two entrants locally from Kilkenny. Uh, the categories that uh, were available this year were the Power Within Champion, the Online Business Transformation, Business Innovation, Emerging New Business, Solo Businesswoman and Transformative Employee. So we had a number of entrants locally in Kilkenny who were interviewed and adjudicated both at local level in Kilkenny and at regional level. And then we had two ladies who were successfully uh, put through to the national finals and they were Dominika Stappa, that was in the Power Within category, and also Anne Healy of Biddy's Good Luck Horseshoes. She went through in the Emerging New Business category. So we could all use so a bit of good luck. So tell us a bit about uh, Anne Healy, first of all. 
Well, Anne is a powerhouse. Uh, if you've met her, you'll know what I'm talking about. She is just a bundle of energy and positive attitude. Uh, she's only two years in business, having gone through a complete and utter career change. She was working in the insurance industry for a long time. I won't say the number of years. Uh, but her business is horseshoes. And what she does with the horseshoes is she takes used horseshoes and she gives them a complete and utter makeover. So you can put them in your home, you can give them as a gift for a new baby, any occasion, weddings, things like that. And I suppose Anne will tell you her story herself or you'll see it on her website or any of her multiple vlogs. The used horseshoes are where the good luck tradition comes from. So Anne has, as I said, undergone a complete and utter career change, but she's done it with the backing of Network Ireland and she's done it with the backing of the local enterprise office. And uh, she has attended events like the RDS and Bloom over the last couple of years. And she, I believe she did the RDS virtually this year as well. So she has uh, she has transformed her life and her business through horseshoes. Fantastic. And Dominica, uh, we've had her on the programme previously, but uh, she scooped a national award. Tell us about the category and about why you think she won it. Well, uh, Dominica has uh, won, as I said, the Power Within category. And what the Power Within category was about was juggling life as well as, I suppose, business throughout a pandemic. And Dominica is a very admirable lady, is how I describe her. She is inspiring. She is resilient. She embodies a growth mindset. She's courageous. She's overcome an incredibly challenging personal situation. And every day in her business, she comes up with new entrepreneurial ideas to make her business succeed. So not only is she an artist, but she's a life coach. So throughout the pandemic, she created a colouring book and her colouring book is now one of her best sellers. Uh, it's a fabulous book. It's available on Etsy and Amazon. Uh, she does paintings as well. She's done a beautiful painting of one of your colleagues, uh, Edward Hayden, lately. Uh, she also has lino prints that you can purchase, colour yourself and frame. She does uh, all sorts of things as well in terms of collaboration around the mindfulness piece. So she has done mindfulness workshops in Castlecomer Discovery Park, but she's also collaborated with other Network Ireland members, such as uh, Shofi Summer from the Happy Pottery. So Dominica has taken some of her creative lino prints, brought them to the Happy Pottery, and people have been able to apply those decals onto the pottery. So they're absolutely spectacular to, to do and to, to look at when you see the finished result. Fantastic. But not only that, yeah, not only that, John, she's loads more. Uh, Dominica does collaborative workshops out in Castlecomer Discovery Park with, with other individuals in Network Ireland as well, such as Autumn Tobin. And uh, it's about bringing nature to life. So she does a creative mandala workshop too, which can be a full day event. But again, it's about finding mindfulness through art. Um, so yeah, there you go. That's Dominica, super lady. 
Deirdre Martin there, President of Network Ireland, and well done to Anne Healy uh, with her horseshoe business and Dominica Stoppa on winning uh, the Power Within Award at the recent Network Ireland Business Awards, which took place virtually like so much these days. That's about all we've got time for on the programme. You would have heard Deirdre talking about the painting that is Edward Hayden. Well, I've seen him through the glass and listeners, you'll be delighted he's looking like a painting this Saturday morning. As I say, that's it for this week on The Bottom Line. If you have any comments or ideas of things you'd like us to get to or issues you'd like to cover, we, you'd like us to cover, you can email us at thebottomline at kclaura96fm.com. You can follow us on Twitter. Keep up to date with us on LinkedIn. If you'd like to listen back to this show or any episode of The Bottom Line, just search The Bottom Line KCLR on Apple Store, Google Play or Spotify. Thanks to all my guests this morning, Alan Seary, Helen Murphy, Seamus O'Hara, Enda Corneal and Deirdre Martin. Until next Saturday, just after nine, have yourself a good weekend, stay safe, have a good week and we'll talk to you soon. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie